Looking for a workout program? Lucky for you, I know exactly who you should go to. 18 Alpha Fitness. That's at 18 Alpha Fitness on Instagram or 18alphafitness.com. Kevin Edgerton, owner-operator, not only has he been through the selection courses as a Green Beret, he's also picked up a whole bunch of medical credentials. And then on top of that, he's been a coach within the Air Force Spec Warfare Pipeline. And I've seen the results, and the, uh, the results are good. Very successful. So Kevin is that perfect merger of experience, both as student and as cadre. And he brings that together with the science. And he's always learning as much as he can. Uh, we've had him on the podcast. He'll tell you all about it. Um, so the flexibility, the breathing, uh, the strength, the conditioning, and not only will Kevin tell you what to do, but if you follow Kevin, what you'll realize very, very quickly is that he still lives that lifestyle. He's got an old gray beard and uh, I'm still scared of him. So head on over to 18 Alpha Fitness, use your ones ready code, get your discount and, uh, let Kevin help you achieve your goals. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room and we are honored to have an international guest with us. We have Mr. Peter Docker. He is a, an author of Leading from the Jump Seat. Um, you are also part of the Royal Air Force. You're actually, uh, from what I understand, and I'm sure you'll go into this, a, a senior officer in the Royal Air Force. So it wouldn't surprise me if our paths crossed at some point, maybe at some kind of convention or, or conference down in London or something like that. But um, another part of it is you were a, a co-author with the one and only Simon Sinek. So honored to have you, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, where shall I start? I'll, I'll start at the beginning. So I, I served with the Royal Air Force as a pilot for 25 years. Uh, I didn't fly anything particularly punchy or exciting. I flew mainly uh, large uh, transport aircraft, but also air refuelers. And uh, I led a squadron. I was the force commander for the British air refueling uh, contingent during the Iraq 2003 conflict, uh, supporting U.S. Marine Corps, U.S. Navy and uh, U.S. British and American, uh, sorry, Australian troops on the ground. So, yeah, that was uh, an interesting time for me. Uh, I've also taught at the British Defence College on leadership uh, to senior officers there negotiating with the Russians when the Berlin Wall came down on behalf of NATO. That was interesting. Worked with your State Department on export licensing, around a £13 billion, $20 billion programme. Uh, that was all part of the Air Force. Uh, then I left uh, because I thought there was more I could do. So I worked in oil and gas, construction, mining, places where people tended to get killed and injured. And we brought a way of leading and a culture that had everyone look after one another and ensure everyone went home safe at the end of the day. So that was great work. But then after about three years of that, uh, to your point, I uh, met up with uh, Mr. Simon Sinek and I worked with Simon for about seven or eight years, helping him to take his message around the world. As part of that, I co-wrote Find Your Why with Simon and my dear friend and colleague, David Mead. And that, I think, has sold about half a million copies in 26 languages. Um, along the way, I've visited, I think, 93 countries, worked uh, with leadership teams in practically every sector in the industry you can imagine, and it's been a fantastic ride. But about two years ago, I stepped away from Simon to develop my own body of work, and that culminated in the book you've already kindly mentioned, Leading from the Jump Seat, 
how to create extraordinary opportunities by handing over control. And that brings together everything I've learned from, well, the travel, the experiences I've had, and also talking and working with leaders from around the world. So that's me, and that's what brings me to your show today. Awesome. Well, we are definitely happy to have you. Um, I mean, so I know I know that you're somewhat familiar, and I'm going to use that term very, very loosely, uh, familiar with our demographic and stuff like that. But I mean, you're you're aware that our demographic is anywhere between 15 and probably 35 year olds that are all looking to um, join the Air Force Special Operations uh, or Air Force Special Warfare in a, a, a handful of different jobs. So it's a lot of physicality, a lot of leadership, a lot of uh, mental grit and toughness and stuff like that. And one of the things that we kind of, and I'm, like I said, I'm going to jump right into this, uh, and I, I hear it right away from, from just from your intro, is freedom of movement, right? giving up control. And I'm interested to see, because one of the things that we try and promote, if you will, is have your your stuff so squared away that it provides you freedom of movement because that's what people like us want. We don't want necessarily micromanaging or somebody putting our thumb on us and telling us you will do it this way. You will. because we actively recruit problem solvers, critical thinkers. We want people to kind of see a tactical problem and go like, okay, well I could solve it this way, or thinking two or three moves ahead, I could actually solve it this way. And have a better outcome, less risk, uh, and go forth. So, how does somebody build kind of a freedom of movement in your eyes? Mm. Great question, Gary. <clears throat> I think you know the, the book I've written is, is all about leadership, and often when we think about leadership, we think about leading others. But actually, to lead others well, I think you need to learn how to lead yourself really well. And what you coin as, as freedom of movement. I would link to the ability as well to lead in situations which are unknown to you, which are new to you, where you don't necessarily have all the answers, but you're absolutely resolute to figure it out. And often you need to draw on your, your team members, your colleagues, to help figure out the bits of the jigsaw to make the whole picture. So how do you lead in those situations? And where I start in the, the book actually is to talk about learning to lead yourself. I call it learning how to fly, you know, and that's all about reflecting deep down in yourself. What is deeply important to you as an individual, as a human being? And I'm not talking about the latest iPhone or um, pay rise or whatever. No, what is deeply important to you? Those non-negotiables. Now, for many of us, that's family, right? And Jared, you, you, you've got a couple of children, I think. And uh, as have I, they've grown up uh, and left and moved, uh, moved out leading their own lives. But, you know, anything to do with family, that generates a surge of energy inside of me. So, for example, a couple of years ago, I had a phone call from my wife. She'd been injured or been in a car accident and needed my help. And there was nothing in this world that would have stopped me walking out that door and going to a rave. Nothing. Now, I was stepping into the unknown. I didn't know what I was going to find, but nothing would have stopped me from doing that. Now, this is one of the things that I'm talking about here. What are your non-negotiables? And when we identify those other non-negotiables in our life, it gives us that reservoir of energy 
to overcome the challenges that we face, particularly when we're in unknown situations. So the question is, how do we identify those non-negotiables? And I believe it's through the choices that we make. So for example, in my own life, way back, over 40 years ago now, I chose to go to university, to college, to study a degree. I studied two subjects about which I knew nothing. I had no academic background in electronic engineering, computing, but I chose to study those subjects and overcome whatever was in, in my way. Why? Because back then, I felt that that would give me the best opportunity by studying those subjects to get a job that was well-paid to support myself, but also my family. My parents had both lost a job. They were very hard up. And one of the non-negotiables for me, I put into words now, I don't want to be a burden on others. I want to be in a position to help others. So that gave me one of my first non-negotiables. But then something else happened in 1982. This is ancient history now. But in 1982, the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic, they were invaded by Argentina, who laid claim to them. Now, I remember at college, university at the time, I, I didn't know about the politics. That was not important. What I became incensed about was that someone was imposing their will on someone else. In this case, people, the population down there in the Falkland Islands who consider themselves to be British. And that went so much against the grain with me that I made another choice. And that was to leave college in the middle of my course and join the Royal Air Force. I had an affinity with the Royal Air Force. I'd been in youth organizations, so I knew about the Royal Air Force. I felt if I joined the Royal Air Force, I could then become part of a team that would be able to help people in future in those sorts of situations who could not help themselves. And the way I express that now in terms of a non-negotiable is the driver of mutual respect. That is something that's really important to me. So when we start to line up these non-negotiables, as I refer to them, which I believe are more fundamental than values, and we can talk about that in a moment if you like, but these non-negotiables, these drivers, give you that reservoir of energy to overcome the challenges that you face, even when you're operating in the unknown. And I think when you get clear on those things, you can better lead yourself. And then that gives you a handrail to better lead others in those unknown situations. Peter, that's, that's an amazing answer. And, and I, I'm hearing so many parallels with what you're saying and what the people ask us. The, the most common question that we get very frequently is, They'll sort of know their why, and we tell people, hey, you have to figure your why out. And we, we weren't as eloquent as you in communicating the non-negotiable aspect of it. The main question we get from a lot of people is, how do I start? How do I, what is step one for me? Would you say it's identify those non-negotiables, or do you look at your larger goals? You know, when I, when I hear you say, I don't want to be a burden to someone, and I don't want to let someone impose their will on other people, and I want to affect that. How do you get to that very clear, very concise way forward? Because a lot of our listeners have real problems getting to that first step. So what would you say to those people that are, that are kind of lost in that nebulous space where they don't know how to organize their thoughts? Well, I think it's a case of sitting down and looking at the choices that you've made in life. Whether you're 15 or uh, later on in that demographic that's listening, look at the choices that you've made in life whether that's choices of how you spend your time with your friends, choices that you make in terms of school or um, the way you, you spend your, your leisure time, choices are the clues. 
And if you take the time to sit down and start to write down, why did I make those choices? What was behind it? What was that thing? Even when others around us are saying, you know what? You don't want to go in that direction. You want to go in this direction. For many people, the first time they make that sort of choice is when perhaps they choose to take up an apprenticeship or they choose to go to college or university to study a particular subject. There'll be those who support you, but there'll always be the people who say, you know what, do you really want to go do that? Do you know that's going to be really tough? That's really difficult. You know, don't you think you'd be better doing, I don't know, marketing or something? Why are you going to that? You'd be good at that. But no, you're resolute. You are heading this direction. Same as each and every one of you on this call made a choice to join the special forces outfits that you belong to. Yeah. That there was nothing that others would say that would dissuade you because you were resolute in that decision you're taking and you knew deep down that there was no other option. You had to do this and you had to move forward. So when we start to examine our choices, those are the clues and we can start to identify what it is that those deep down drivers inside of us, which will give us that fuel to keep moving forward when perhaps otherwise we would stop or there isn't a roadmap because we haven't been there before. And, and that's what we deal with a lot, right? We have people that are going into just like your, your car accident scenario, you know, we, yeah. we have people that are they're stepping into the unknown and Absolutely. You know, with us. And I, I don't want to be too dramatic, but I mean, it could literally cost them their lives. You know, the things that we do are extremely cool. dangerous and it gives people a lot of anxiety and it, it, it causes people to do a maybe, you know, from our optic almost, extra analysis they get you know analysis by paralysis where they try to include everything and they want the most yeah. clear picture that they possibly can so yeah. moving through that uncertainty and you know with a focus on leading yourself um, because i yeah. think that's a really interesting topic we we tell people they need to be leaders at every level even if you're not the leader you can lead yourself can, can you talk a little bit more about you know leading yourself and learning the yeah world? I, I, th this is a really good one to get dig a bit further into because, well, <laughs> two things. First of all, everything we do in life that's important to us, everything is driven by one of two things. It's driven either by fear or by love. Now, I'm going to come back to the fear thing, uh, sorry, the, the love side of it, because sometimes people get a bit jittery when you're talking in this context about love, right? But I'll come back to that. But let's deal with fear, first of all. You know, Fear is ignited inside us when, uh, well, a number of circumstances, but firstly, when we sense that our life is in danger. And this can be a useful reaction to have. You know, just every day, if you step out in the street, a car's coming, fear will have you jump back out of the way of that car. Yeah? But at other times, fear can raise its head when it's not useful, fear is also triggered when we sense that our livelihood, our status, or our reputation is on the line. And when fear is triggered because of those things, and it happens in all walks of life, it happens just as much as it, well, in the work environment as it does when you're at high school at the age of 15, say, yeah? Fear can be triggered when you, you sense that your status or reputation is on the line. And then it can show up in ways that are not helpful. It can show up in ways that, well, you close down. You stop thinking about other people. You see it as a win-lose situation. I've got to win all the time and everybody else has got to lose. It's binary. And ego 
can come forward. Ego is Greek for I. You literally forget about everybody else. You focus on yourself. And in most situations where your life is not on the line, when fear has been triggered by your livelihood, your status or reputation feeling under threat, fear tends not to serve us well. But we always have a choice. And that choice is to choose to be sourced from love instead. And what love looks like is instead of focusing on yourself, you keep your mind open. You're thinking about others, the people around you. Instead of seeing a world of scarcity, you're seeing a world of possibility and opportunity. And instead of ego, you are led yourself by what I call humble confidence. And humble confidence links back to, Aaron, what we were talking about a moment ago. Humble confidence is where, let's treat the confidence piece first. You're absolutely resolute on where you're going, unswerving, focused on that. You know what your strengths are. You're confident in your strengths. And you're ready to take the decisions when the time comes to take those decisions. But then the humble part comes in. Humility, humility to listen, to learn, to be curious. And when we lead ourselves from a place of humble confidence rather than ego, when we lead ourselves from that place of love rather than fear, it opens up many, many more opportunities and also helps to build character. And when we're consistent in how we show up, that is what others recognize as character. And if we consistently show up source from a place of fear, it's not nearly as powerful as showing up source from a place of love. And that is because the thing that joins fear and love is courage. Courage cannot exist without fear, but courage can only be sustained by the love for something. So when we're identifying those things that are deeply important to us, yes, we might perhaps identify things that we're fearful of, either because it threatens our life, our livelihood, our status or reputation. But the trick is to flick that around and say, well, what's the other side of the coin here? How can I couch that in terms of what I, what, what am I a stand for? What do I love? Now, take you guys, you know, what you do and what you are helping others to do. When you step out of that aircraft uh, as a, uh, you know, the end of a parachute, you go and rescue someone. I am sure that fear will will kick in at some stage, but that triggers courage. Could you? To be honest, <laughs> yeah. I'm scared. Uh, I'm scared right now just talking about it. You said we were going to go on an airplane, and my heart rate went up forty. Yeah, of course, and that's healthy. But I wager that the training that you've had and what you share with others is not to react to that fear in a way that is negative, but instead see it as a warning flag, a warning flag that reminds you to choose to source yourself from a place of love. And in your case, that is the love for the fellow military guy who's desperate for your help, and you're the one who can go and save it. That's love. You know, it's not from a place of fear, that's love. And that's how you step out of that aircraft every time. So this links back to your your question, Aaron, you know, when we're looking at the choices that we make, yeah, look at the choices that we make, because that will tell us what's deeply important to us, but then put it through the filter of, am I doing those things from a place of fear, or I'm doing them from a place of love? Because if we can come from a place of love, that is going to sustain us much more and much longer than anything sourced from fear can. No, and 
I've just got a comment on that. And I, I already know that I'm not going to articulate it very well, but something that you said kind of spurs a thought with me that I have, and I, I don't necessarily know it's, it's that popular, but it, it doesn't matter because whatever, it's my opinion, but um, so right, wrong or indifferent, I, that whole, the fear and love thing, like there's a big emphasis on mental health these days and um, which is great because it, it hasn't been addressed for a long time. Now it is addressed. But and maybe it's just a social media thing, but you see a lot of, hey, I, I've got to look internal. I'm going to block everybody out. I'm, I'm just worried about me. So it goes in my mind as I'm as I'm processing what you're talking about. It goes back to that whole fear, um, internalizing things where I think if you can, whether it's a, whether it's a volunteer at a cancer ward or you can you can volunteer at a, at a soup kitchen or whatever it is and try and help people that that only not only helps them but it also helps your soul too it helps your own mental health because then you're providing that love you're providing that hey I'm actually I have a purpose I have I'm, I'm caring for somebody else I'm actually helping somebody else and then it just it kind of just snowballs from there you're helping them you're helping yourself and like I said didn't articulate it very well but that's just my opinion on how that whole uh-huh. works. I'm totally with you there, Jared. You know, often uh, fear and touching on the, the mental health side of it, you know, <laughs> fear can it, it, it can occur when we're, we're sat in a room and we're just thinking about ourselves and uh, afraid of the world or, you know, what's the future hold or whatever. As soon as we get out there and we say, you know what, I'm going to take that fear. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to use it as a warning flag. I'm going to source myself from a place of love. How can I help others? How can I be in service of others? And that is the most powerful thing to overcome fear without question. You know, whether we're talking in a military context um, during the Iraq 2003 war, what, what I flew and what my 200 guys flew were large aircraft the size of a 737, completely unarmed, completely undefended. We flew around to give gas away and we got shot at from the ground quite a bit. And the first night I was pretty sure I would not see all of my 40 men and women back safely, you know, and we're reliant on uh, folks like you guys, special forces uh, to to take out the uh, AAA on the ground that were targeting us. But, you know, we got in those aircraft and my people got in those aircraft time and time again because they were sort of a place of love for people on the ground who are absolutely dependent on the air cover that we could help facilitate by giving the gas to the fighter jets. And that have them overcome their own fears because they're in service. And it's exactly the same when we're sat back at home and if we're, we're facing any mental health challenges. If we're just thinking about ourselves, then that fear will build. But instead, if we use it as a springboard to go and serve others who we can help, then that mitigates that fear and it allows us to step forward positively source from that place of love yeah yeah um I, I think one of the things that people have a hard time with like i think we all understand or everybody understands that like instinctual love that we have for like our family or somebody um but making that leap from the instinctual to the deliberate choices to to approach things through love to overcome that fear to have that courage um do you have any like uh is there like a roadmap for that like how do i get past you know, me and like my, you know, love of family. And then how do I help that bleed over 
into like the, the general population that I'm surrounded with. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it links back a little to the, the, the earlier questions around how, how to generate that freedom of movement. You know, when, when we look at the choices that we make, which are the clues, and we start to write down, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we start to write down how the choices we've made in life uh, on a daily basis, uh, what's the common thread a, a, around those? And I, I mentioned a couple myself, you know, not being a burden on others, being able to support others, and also this notion of mutual respect. And they start to build your character. It's not like, hey, you, you do this in one afternoon. Um, it, it's something that will evolve. And good heavens, and I'm still learning myself around this. You know, the more I focus on these non-negotiables of, of mutual respect and lifting others up, uh, that's one of the key things for me as well. Um, the more I practice that, the more intentional I become around it. Even now, at the grand old age of whatever I am, 59 almost, you know, it, it's reinforcing my character and who I am and how others can rely on me and how I show up, you know. So this is literally a lifelong thing, but you can start right now, whatever age you're at. And the more stakes in the ground you can you can nail in there in terms of what are your non-negotiables, um, the easier it's going to help make things as you take on those big challenges, whether it's joining, in my view, joining special forces or the military in general, in service of others, the more people are going to be able to rely on you. If you get clear on yourself, what do you stand for? You know, not, not what you, the positions you take against other. We, we hear a lot of things in, in the world at the moment, in politics and elsewhere, people taking up positions against things. Flip the coin over, forget that. What do you stand for? What can you be counted on for? Because a position relies on a counterposition, a different view that's, uh, that's counter to yours. And as soon as that counterposition dissolves, your position dissolves too. So, you know, it doesn't last. But a stand is for something. And it doesn't depend on anyone or anything else out there. It's what you believe. It's like having your own island, planting your flag on that island and saying, look, this is what I stand for. This is who I am. And the ships that sail past, they can see what you stand for as an individual, what your character is. If they believe and agree with that, they can come and join you on your island. But if they don't, then they can sail on by. And that's OK. It's exactly the same if, you know, you're thinking of joining the military or the special forces and your mates around you, some of them will say, really, you want to do that? Come on, dude. Seriously, you don't want to be a part of that organization. And they take none a of position. None of us heard that. Uh, what? <laughs> None of us had friends or family that said that to us before we did well, I, <laughs> yeah, we, I, think we, I think all of us have that story about one person in your life that was like, no, uh, not, not only should we not do this, but we're probably going to fail. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, a hard thing yeah. to get through. I mean, especially if it's somebody that's important to you, like a parent or a mentor or somebody that you're close yeah. to. That is really, really tough. Well, it, let, let's build on that because this is a really great example. You know, if someone came to you, you think back to when you were starting out, and someone came to you and said, oh, Aaron, you, you really don't want to do that. You know, they, you, you don't want to join that. You're going to fail. And they take up a position. Everybody did. Everybody oh, right. Did. I actually didn't have anybody in my corner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, they take up a position against the choice that you're making. Well, we could focus on countering that argument, or we could say, you know what? Fine. <clears throat> it's up to you. I'm a stand for what I believe in and what I want to do and the choices that I make with my life. And I want to be in service. I want to, to, to get the skills to be able to, to deliver. So I'm going to do it anyway. 
And it doesn't matter what you think out there. You know, that's okay. You can say, oh, I'm biased. That's fine. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. And it all comes back to my mind. I've given you that freedom of action. When you're clear on what your non-negotiables are, when you're clear on what you stand for, you can then turn those things into a commitment. And a commitment is when you put that stand, those non-negotiables, what you stand for, you put into action. The commitment looks like signing on the dotted line to, to, to join special forces or the military. Yeah? But here's the thing. That commitment is not the signature on the piece of paper. The commitment is the promise that you make to yourself to follow through. If you make that signature on the, 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 the joining paper, but you haven't made that promise to yourself, that's not a commitment. Yeah. And so th this, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is, if we're going to make a commitment to something to follow through, it's going to be a darn sight easier if we know what we stand for as individuals and what our non-negotiables are. Yeah. Because they all build on one another to help us make that promise to ourselves, which is a commitment to follow through whatever the cost we're going to follow through. Right. It's like, if you have more points, you know exactly where you are on a map or you know where you're going and all that other stuff. I think those people that maybe question you before you join, they, they're dealing with no, no data, right? All of it is unknown to them because they don't really know me that yeah. well and they don't know what I'm getting into. So like the, all they have as a recourse is really the, the fear, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah. if I know me, I've taken one of those variables of unknown off the table, and then it's easier to step into that that next uh, you know the unknown situation because I already have one of those variables figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the great thing about this is down to you. It really is. It doesn't depend on anybody else. It, it's down to you to take the moment to figure out what's deeply important to you, non-negotiables, and turning those into a stand for something rather than a position against, and then turn those stands into a commitment for action. It's all within our own power to do that. It doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. It's just down to us. And that's a great place to be. Now, Peter, you, um, I don't, as I go back through our guests, I don't know anybody has ever had something behind them, almost like a prop. And I, I definitely want to address that because we, we actually didn't we actually didn't talk about this beforehand, like what that is. You, you just, I thought it was a whiteboard. It's a it's actually a flip book uh, or a flip kind of tear sheet thing. So you mind telling us about that real quick? Well, actually, yeah, I mean, it just happens to be there. Um, <laughs> it really is. But so on the, this this flip chart, we've got three letters, L, F and C. And that's a reminder that everything that's important to us is driven by either fear or love. And we always have a choice to flip from the fear side of the bus over to the love side of the bus. And what joins them is the C, the courage. Yeah? It's as simple as that. And we, we can apply that model to any area in our life. We always have that choice. You know, when uh, I, I was looking at you guys, your, your uh, excellent podcast series, and you're talking about some of the uh, the training that uh, the, the guys who, who do the job that you do, you have to go through, you know, and a lot of it will trigger fear. But the way you overcome that 
is the love for the core that you're going to join, the organization you're going to join, and ultimately the difference you can make in other people's lives through the work that you do. You know, and being able to hold on tight to that love aspect for something is, I'm sure, what helps you get through the training yourself and what will help future recruits get through their training too. Oh, without a doubt. And it's, it's interesting because it, there's definitely a, and I don't know where the transition happens, but, um, you know, you, you have you, these great and amazing friends um, in high school and, and through your young years. Some of them, probably a handful of them you keep throughout the rest of your life. A lot of them just, uh, you know, you just grow apart, um, you know, their fault, your fault, whatever. You just kind of grow apart. And um, then you hit the military and then it's, you know, whether it's the military or whether it's special operations or whatever, and you become obsessed uh, with that and it helps you get through. And then there's a, there's a transition, at least for me, there was a transition where it was, I was so kind of worried about me and making it through because I was so obsessed with this um, to then that, that love, uh, the love portion that you're talking about where it's like, okay, it's not about me. It's about, I've, I've got to go help that people, uh, that person, or I've got to watch the back of, of the, the 11 other guys that are right around me. Um, because we're going into a really bad spot and it's, I, I don't know where that transition happened, but it's, it's a definitive and it's, it's a much stronger, um, connection or bond than, than anything else I could ever possibly imagine. And again, I, I'm, I mean, I'm lost for words because it's, it's difficult to articulate and it's not necessarily tangible. You know, you can't put your finger on it, or at least I can't. Um, but it, it's such a bond that, it, and it'll never be broken. Like Trent and I, we could, we could stop this podcast after this episode and, you know, whatever. We wouldn't enjoy it because we enjoy doing this, but, you know, but we will maintain friendship, you know, through perpetuity. You know, it's, uh, it's just a weird thing and it's hard to articulate, at least for this, uh, South Carolinian. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I, I I think you make a great, great point. And I, I see what, what bonds you together is that, that common, focus of being in service uh, of others and of one another, you know, and we, we mentioned earlier about um, ego and humble confidence, you know, ego comes from the fear sign, humble confidence comes from the love sign. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm sure that, <laughs> you know, if you had folks in your, your close knit teams who were just Mr. Ego, those aren't the guys that you're going to entrust your life to because they are the guys who are just thinking about themselves. Um, but the guys who got humble confidence, who are absolutely resolute, determined, clear of their commitment, clear what they stand for, clear on who they are, ready to take the decisions when the tough decisions need to be taken, but equally have got the humility to listen in, to get the experience, the collective genius, as I call it, of other team members when you're facing uh, an unknown situation. It's they who are going to prevail as, as, as great leaders and great teammates. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of humble confidence. It's, I, there's a, a very, it, it's not nearly as eloquent as you put it, Peter, uh, but it says, you know, I always tell young 
young people that ask me about leadership and, and how to be a confident leader when they may not necessarily have that that loud personality like me, I can just really lead by volume sometimes. I can just raise my voice and get out front and I have one of those personalities that's engaging, but not everybody. And I tell people that I, you know, people that I've supervised or people that I've helped mentor through my career, you don't have to sound like me. You don't have to look yeah, like me. Absolutely. You have to display that that humble confidence. Um, and I, I've always phrased it as, you know, you can be humble, but sometimes you got to let an MF know. You know, sometimes you have to kind of get out there and, and really be that leader that people need in whatever way that you do. Um, I love the title of the book, Leading from the Jump Seat, because that, that really does get right into how do you lead in those scenarios where you might not be the leader. You might not be that person, but you need, you need in that time to step up and be the leader. So what are some other themes from Leading from the Jump Seat that you would like to get out there that could possibly help people out? Sure thing. So very quickly, uh, what I mean by leading right up from the jump seat, you know, and th this comes back, I share the story right up front in the book. It comes back to when I was a senior <coughs> pilot and happened to be a senior officer in the Air Force. And uh, I was certifying checking new pilots on this big transport passenger jet we had, carried about 150 people. And I just certified this guy, Callum, uh, to become a, an aircraft captain. So responsible for the whole aircraft safety and everybody on board. And uh, I was hitching a ride back to Washington Dulles from San Francisco. Callum was uh, the captain. And he asked me to come and sit on the jump seat just because San Fran during rush hour is an airport, very busy. And uh, he was thinking of, of the safety of the aircraft. He said, look, can I have another pair of eyes on the flight deck to look out for other traffic as we taxi out to the runway to get airborne? I said, yeah, of course, captain, no problem at all. So I sat on the jump seat. The jump seat is usually an empty seat on the flight deck of most large aircraft. And when you sat there, you can, you know, put your hands on the shoulders of the two pilots, the captain on the left and co-pilot on the right. So I, I strapped in, had a great view from, from up there to see other traffic. Callum taxi the aircraft. We we're good to go. He didn't have any problem at all, but uh, it was good just to see him operate, having certified him the night before. And we thundered down the runway and we got airborne and around about four or 500 feet, we had an emergency. And what I then chose to do in the next two seconds would dictate whether we on the flight deck and the other 140 people on board survived or not. What I chose to do was absolutely nothing. In that moment, I didn't need to lead by stepping forward and taking control. I needed to become a great follower. I needed Callum to feel that I had his back. And I had confidence in him being able to sort out the situation. So I sat there quite calmly with my hands in my lap and allowed him to get on and do his job. And that for me, well, it's like a metaphor for great leadership, whether we're talking about leading ourselves or leading others. You know, At some stage in life, we will hand over control. You know, If we're a, a team member, or sorry, a team leader, we'll switch teams. If we're the CEO of a company, we'll retire. But even as a parent as well, you know, our kids grow up, leave home and start to lead their own lives. So it is inevitable that we hand over control. Lean from the jump seat is all about how do we lead with that in mind? How do we lead in such a way that we lift others up around us so when the time is right, they can take the lead and carry forward those things that are deeply important to us 
carry forward those things beyond when we have gone. Yeah. And what you guys on this podcast are doing is exactly that. You are creating the environment to lift others up who have aspirations of doing the sort of jobs that you guys do. Yeah. And that is jump seat leadership. And it turns out that when you lead with that intention of lifting up others so as they can take the lead, it substantially enhances the performance that you get right now. But you can't approach that from a place of ego. You can't approach that from a place of not knowing what's deeply important to you. You need to approach it from a place of humble confidence for the love for something, the people around you. And you need to approach it being very clear on what your own non-negotiables are, what you stand for, and what your commitment is. So this is how it, it all comes together. And I talk about it, I use the flying metaphor. You know, when we're starting out, like a lot of people on this podcast, uh, you're, you're right at the start of trying to figure out what's deeply important to you. And I call that learning to fly, right? But then when you've got that sorted and you're in the job that you want to be doing, and you're really good at it. I call that flying. Yeah. But then if you're really good at it, chances are you're going to be asked to, to train and teach others. And that then is the next st stage of teaching others to fly. But then ultimately you'll get to the stage where you're taking a big step back and you're leading from the jump seat. You're still there for people. You still got their backs, but they are now leading and carrying forward those things that you feel are deeply important to you. Yeah. So I think it's really valuable wherever we are in life and our career to understand where we are on that hierarchy. Are we just learning to fly? Are we flying? Are we teaching others to fly? Are we leaning from the jump seat? Because you know what? We can be flying in some areas of our life, but just learning to fly in other areas. Yeah. And I think having that awareness helps us to maintain that humble confidence. Yeah. But coming back to your, your question of other things that we can do and you picked up on something which I feel is really important. There's a lot talked about authenticity these days, you know, being your authentic self. Well, I'm going to push against that a little bit because I think we give up the right to be authentic when we're about four or five years old. Authentic is the four-year-old kid who's screaming because they're hungry or tired, or want attention. Yeah, That's truly authentic because it's no filter straight to how they're feeling. But I think when you're working in a high-performing team, and if you're leading a team that's high-performing, <coughs> you cannot afford always to be absolutely authentic without filter. The filter that comes in is integrity. The integrity that comes with the role the responsibility and the expectation others have of you. So, for example, I mentioned the 2003 Iraq war. Was I, if I'd been authentic, I'd have said to my couple of hundred people, you know, oh, I'm very unsure about what everything we're doing here. And I, I don't know, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen here. And we've got a undefended, unprotected aircraft. You know, we're going to get shot. That would have been the authentic self, but that would not have been in service of my people. At that stage, there was a lot of uncertainty, and they were looking towards me as their senior person to give them a foundation, to give them a bedrock. So I had to apply that filter of integrity. What are people expecting of me 
in that leadership role? How can I lift them up so as they can do their job in service of others? So <laughs> that's why I kick against this notion of you've always got to be authentic. You know, no, put that filter in there. What do other people need from me right now? It doesn't matter whether you are the team leader or just a member of the platoon or the team or, or the group. You have a responsibility to apply that filter and to be in service of the people around you. And that takes integrity rather than just unfiltered authenticity. Well, and, you know, this is speaking from my own personal experience. So, you know, selfishly, I'm going to I'm going to pick your brain on this one, because as I've, as I've gotten to those, I'm definitely in the jump seat right now. Like, I am definitely not the guy that's going out with the sergeants on the team, you know, and I've been lucky enough to work with, you know, one of my one of my best friends my entire career. He's my chief now and, and Jared. And, you know, it, it's awesome. But that leads me, you know, as we go through this this process and as you as you step back away from the, the, the controls and you get to the jump seat that leads to fear and it leads to that own you know introspection and i really like the way you know fear you know to, to that love um sort of area where you can really help people be their best selves because it does take a lot of courage even in that you know i would be lying to you if i said that i went to work every day and i felt confident and i felt like every interaction was great and i can just kind of sit back and everybody's gonna everybody's going to go do for those mid-level making, you know, when you make that transition, when you make the transition from, you know, the pilot, from the co-pilot to the jump seat, that has a lot of fear attached to it. And it has a lot of looking inward that you need to do in order to find that courage to be, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, especially in our career fields, everything is, well, can you still operate? Can you still throw the kid on and go get after it with the boys? Can you still do these things? We place a high value on that. And it leads to a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and it leads you to a place where you're, you know, you never want to be the irrelevant person that's just an office guy or gal, right? You always want to be that person leading from, yeah, Trent, I'm talking about you. I can see you right there. Um, but you, you always want to be that person um, that's out there leading. What would your advice be to, to, to get through that initial fear? Because it's all ego. You can, you can feel your ego rearing up, um, you know, that authentic self saying, no, you, you get out of the jump seat. You got to go lead. How do you find a balance? Yeah, great question. You know, and I've jotted down a few things because you, you bring up uh, a lot of good points. First of all, that transition moment where you're no longer the operator, you're looking <clears> after <throat> the operators. Yeah, you, you're, you're referencing that. <clears throat> and in my experience, we... <laughs> We don't get as much support as I think we need often making that transition. I think it's better in the military than it is in the business world. Not that that helps us directly, but I, I think it is. we are a bit better at it in the, the military. Um, but I, I think recognizing that as uh, a, a challenge, a new skill to be taken on and uh, to, to become good at, recognizing that transition and recognizing that fear is going to come up. Uh, you know, going back to the, the start of this podcast, uh, you asked me to give a, uh, a, a sort of snapshot of my, my journey, my career. What I didn't mention is that most of the time, I felt completely out of my depth in all of those roles that I mentioned, completely out of my depth. Yeah. And I, I think on reflection, it was good because if I didn't feel completely out of depth, First of all, that could have meant arrogance. 
Or secondly, it could have meant that I wasn't pushing myself as far as I could be pushed. Yeah. So having this unsettled feeling, I think, is, is good to have that because it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you curious and it keeps you learning. All right. So that's the first, first thing. And that applies particularly when you're at this transition point where you're no longer the operator, you're taking care of the operators. Uh, you, you need to embrace that. The second thing I'd say as well is that um, this is not about being perfect. You know, this is not about being the perfect leader, whatever the heck that is. What's more important than data points, what's more important is the trend and where you're sourcing yourself from. So if you make a bad call one day that affects other people, you know, you can't do anything about that other than the following day, make a commitment to do a little bit better the next day. Okay. And so over time, hopefully the trend is going in the good direction. So the message from that is go easy on yourself. If you screw up, you know, get up and move forward. Go easy on yourself, provided you're sorting yourself from the right place. And what I mean by that is where are you sorting yourself from? Is it from fear or is it for, from the love for something? If the trend is heading in the right direction and it's because of a love for something, and what you can bring to the party, then that's good. And you can go easy on yourself every so often when you do drop the ball. Well, I, I think there's, there's, there's tools, right, to, to maintain that humility and perspective as you move into those leadership roles. And I think uh, hearing about your, your entire story, you never, it doesn't sound like you ever were comfortable just doing one thing, right? Like you stepped out of the military at a time when you, it would have been very comfortable to stay there. Um, but like, you, you said like you can bounce back and forth from the jump seat to learning how to fly. And I think that's something that we all try to do because as soon as you stop learning or putting yourself in those student situations uh, and you, you approach like your leadership as I know everything, then I think that's when it goes downhill. So like those humility tools and constantly learning those new skills and putting yourself out there again and again and making it habitual uh, to, to maintain that perspective to the people that you're, you know, leading from the jump seat uh, is critical. It is, and just picking up on that, um, it was with great pleasure about three weeks ago, I went for a walk with Lieutenant General Sir James Dutton, KCB, CBE, bar, whatever. He's been knighted twice by a Majesty of the Queen. Once is quite an honour, but twice. Uh, he led the, the push on Basra, leading uh, British and American um, Marines and Special Forces during the 2003 Iraq war. I had the privilege of working with them in our Ministry of Defense some years before that. Our Ministry of Defense is sort of crossed between your Pentagon and um, Defense Department. And he is one of the most incredible leaders I've ever had the privilege of serving with. And he has great humility. He listens, you know. Being a leader is more often not about knowing the answer. In fact, if you've always got to be the guy with the answer, you become the constriction in the pipe because people are expecting you to have the answer. And your progress is then limited by your own knowledge. If, however, you have the humble confidence to lead when you don't know the answer and turn that from a perceived weakness into a strength, and instead you're holding the space very clear on where you're going, resolute in that, but holding the space, asking the important questions so as those on your team, you can draw on their collective genius to figure out the solution. 
that, in my experience, makes for a great leader. And Sir James Dutton is one of those. And the point of raising him now is I, I went for a, we went for a three, four hour walk together. And it's fantastic because I haven't seen him for over 20 years. And he's just the same as I always knew him. But here's the thing. He's long since retired. He's retired from the military. He's gone through a commercial business um, career as well. But now he is retired. And for much of his career, he was leading from the jump seat, lifting up others. But now he's back to learning how to fly again. And that is, how am I going to adjust to being retired? You know, where am I going to focus my attention? And so he's turning up the volume on the humble confidence. He knows what he's great at, what his strengths are. But he needs to have the humility to draw on those around him to figure out what he's going to do with his life now and his time and how he can still make a contribution, which, of course, he can. So I, I think to your point, being conscious of where we are in different parts of our life, you know, are we learning to fly? Are we flying? Are we teaching others to fly? Or are we leaving from the jump seat? Being aware of that for different aspects of our life keeps us curious. It keeps us humble. It keeps us learning. And that's then when we continue to progress as a, a human being. And that's got to be good. Yeah. Well, Peter, I've got uh, really two more things to for you. And then uh, you can either combine them or you can separate them. But uh, one of the things that we like to do at the end of the podcast is uh, specifically address uh, the demographic and uh, allow the, the guests to like really give some advice. So I'd like to ask what some of your advice would be for some of this, some of our, uh, our listeners and really forget the demographic, like anybody. I mean, as two of us are in our forties, we're, we're learning right now too. So forget the demographic, like some advice for some of the folks that are, you know, finding themselves in new positions or maybe even in a rut or they're, they're trying to get into air force special warfare. Yeah. Well, I, I think, Regardless of, of who we are, if we stay curious and take the time to reflect on what's deeply important to us, deeply important to us, one of those non-negotiables, that can be one of the, the greatest things that we can do. And it's not about completing that process. It's about starting it. You know, I, I'm still on that journey of discovering other things which are non-negotiables in, in my life, and they, they shift a little bit. Um, but the more we can focus in on that, the more we can put words around. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough so that we can act on it. It gives us such a great foundation when we, we step forward. And it helps us to step forward in a way that in our lives that um, is going to be consistent with who we are as a person. And our, it, it will reinforce our, our character and therefore how others can relate to us and the trust that we build. So wherever we are in life, take a moment to reflect on those non-negotiables because that will provide that fantastic foundation. And the other thing that I would reiterate is, hey, it's not about being perfect. It's about, you know, making that trend head in the right direction and picking yourself up when you do screw up occasionally, as we all do, and heaven only knows I have. Yeah, and there's quite a few of those times. Yeah, we all have. <laughs> yeah, of course we have. But, you know, what, what makes the difference is what we do about it. You know, do we lie down and just, you know, give up? No, we don't. We carry on forward and we learn from it. And that's what makes us better. And that's what enables us to help those around us be better too, I think. 
by sharing what we've learned. Certainly. And then the last thing would be, um, I just wanted to open it up to you and, and anything you got specifically about your book, um, because uh, like I'm, I'm going to look forward to, you know, finishing it now that I know that it's on uh, some other platforms other than Audible, like, like, cause I'm a big audio, audio book person just because of the amount of commute that I have. But um, like, I want to open it up to you. Anything you want to hit on your book specifically? Where can we find your book? Where can where can people follow you online? How can people support you? And then what other project? I what other projects are you uh, are, are you involved with? Well, thanks for the questions, guys. First of all, the book "Leading from the Jump Seat: How to Create Extraordinary Opportunities by Handing Over Control." It, it's available in paperback, hardback uh, around the world, usual places, Amazon, high street stores. Um, also available in ebook and audiobook. Sadly, it's not on Audible yet, but it's on audiobook.com and about five or six other platforms out there. So you should be able to find it. Uh, my website, by the same name, leadingfromthejumpseat.com, there are tools and resources uh, on there. Uh, I'm developing at the moment uh, a, uh, uh, an online course and companion guides to learn how to lead from the jump seat. So hopefully that will appear later on this year. Social media, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. I've had a dabble with TikTok. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep playing with that. Neither are we. So yeah. don't worry about it. That's, that's, that's uh, the funny I, thing about this. We, uh, so we, we love engaging on social media platforms. We all talk about it. And that's the one line that we can't find. Maybe You know what? Maybe it's fear. Maybe we need to focus. Yeah, <laughs> and we need to have that courage to get on TikTok, but we just haven't been able to get there. Yet. So maybe we can ask you. Perhaps, or it it might be time because it, it's a great time sapper, isn't it? But but hey, you reach out. Uh, I'd love to hear from from folks, and if you can borrow or buy, but borrow a copy of the book. The the, the book I, I've illustrated with stories, my stories from around the world not just military, but from business uh, and from experiences that I, I've had around leadership. But each story has got a point to it, uh, to draw out a, a leadership uh, notion, a distinction in language, a bit like um, you know, a difference between uh, being authentic and having integrity. Distinctions in language which help us to have different conversations. And when we can have different conversations, whether that's internally to ourselves or with others, it helps us get different results. So there's lots of that in the book, and uh, I'm delighted to, to hear that it's helping many people around the world. Outstanding. Well, uh, I, just, I just went and found you on social media, so it's at Peter Docker uh, on Instagram. So, um, and definitely go out there, check out his book. Um, I'm gonna finish it up and then put it on our website as a recommended read, because I think, uh, I think it, fits right in line with what we are trying to accomplish and what our listeners are trying to accomplish. So again, for everybody that's out there listening, please check out Peter Docker. Uh, like, subscribe to the YouTube, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Engage with us on uh, direct messages or email info at onesready.com. And then uh, for the merch, we are revamping our merch store. So we will have some new stuff probably here in um, two weeks to a month. So appreciate you uh, joining us and we'll see you next time. Later. Thanks, Peter. Bye.